And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host, Matt Watson. Excited to be joined today with Justin Garrett, who's the founder and CEO of TrueLutter. We're going to be talking about affiliate marketing today, working with affiliate. He's trying to solve some specific problems with that, which I think are really interesting. Um, you know, a lot of us are always looking for channel partners and how to sell our software and affiliates is a good one. So hopefully we'll, we'll learn today from Justin some tips about affiliates as well. I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale, which is my company. We have over 300 employees in the Philippines to do all sorts of software development services for startups and scale-ups. Uh, if you need software developers, check us out at fullscale.io. Justin, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. So before we got started here, we were talking about how you've made a lot of mistakes. Do we have enough time to go through all of them today as a first-time non-technical founder? Yeah, no, I, I'd be happy to go through some of that. <laughs> I think the big thing, and you probably hear them from a lot of like non-technical founders, is like there's this constant battle of bringing things in-house, agencies, dev shops. Um, and we were talking about, you know, we got connected through a mutual friend of ours, Finn. Um, and there's, especially early on when you're a first-time software founder, you're not always really sure how much things are supposed to cost. And so yeah. an example where he spent like, you know, a ton of money on like his wireframes. And, um, you know, we've definitely had those where we've built tech that ended up getting scrapped and we've worked with partners that we ended up separating from. And then it takes a lot of time to catch the new people up to speed. Yeah. We can go through things one by one later on for sure. Well, so tell us how, how did you get started with this idea of, of true letter and, um, it is trueletter.ai, right? Trueletter.ai, for those who are listening, check it out. How did, how did you come up with the idea for this? Yeah, so first of all, what we do is, at TrueLetter, for those who don't know, is we help brands make personalized, ready-to-publish content on behalf of their affiliates at scale. Um, so in a former corporate job um, and in a past startup, I was working very closely with managing an affiliate program. Um, and then in between my last job towards the end of my, my last corporate gig, uh, and starting true letter, I was an affiliate, a, a blog affiliate. And I noticed this like huge disconnect between brands and affiliates, which is for, from the brand's point of view, it's really hard to get affiliates to publish content. And from the affiliates point of view, affiliates are, the brands really don't give them a lot of resources outside yeah. of like some PDFs and, um, stuff like that. So I was, you know, I'd kind of seen this problem of like, inactivity and like struggling to activate affiliates from both sides of the coin. And I was just like, what if we made a platform that takes all of like this content that brands are usually sending to their affiliates and saying, here, go free, like take this, it's no skin of our back. You're like a complete commission. How can we take that and almost do their job for them? We're, we're using that and the power of AI to make really solid content that the affiliate can just take, make some quick tweaks and, and streamline their workflow. So you're not actually publishing for them, right? But you're trying to give them all the materials 
to make it easy for them? Like, how do you make their job as easy as possible to do the, you know, affiliate work and, and promote you? Yeah, totally. So what we do is there's like two kind of training modules, one on the affiliate side and one on the brand side. Um, and this is like a really standard thing in the affiliate space already where they have like a resource hub, uh, whether it's a Google Drive or a Notion site, and they publish this and they're like, hey, these are all the things that you need to know about our company. It's like brand guidelines and product catalogs. And they're like, here's your link, go figure it out. We take that and that becomes a part of the brand's um, like AI model. Like they're a, a unique chat GPT for them. Um, and then we have something similar with the, the affiliates where they can sync their social channels so we can kind of understand their voice and tone. Um, and we are able to make this content that the brand generates kind of like, you know, Jasper or ChatGPT. And then we publish that to all the affiliates by putting it through each of their like personalization filters. Um, okay. so, so the idea is really like the brand is creating this one campaign that creates thousands of pieces of content on behalf of their affiliates. So do you have any good examples of this so far? Like any kind of case study examples or anything? Yeah, totally. So our, the big industries that we work in are in e-commerce, um, SaaS, and then even believe it or not, conferences. We actually have a big, um, the biggest crypto conference is um, one of our beta clients. Um, and so, you know, let's say that you have a, a network of a thousand affiliates, right? a pretty typical like activation rate in affiliates is like 10 to 20%. So you're managing a lot of affiliates that aren't actively publishing. Um, so let's say, you know, let's break that down into quadrants. Let's say it's 250 bloggers, 250 podcasters, 250 social, um, and 250 um, name a channel. Uh, it could be, you know, LinkedIn. We'll break up like LinkedIn and Twitter. We'll take those 100 or those 1,000 uh customers, the brand manager, the head of marketing will come in, create a campaign and say, you know, here's our objective. It's this, it's, it's awareness or traffic. Uh, what is the product that we're trying to promote? And, you know, maybe a couple like details on that product. We take that and create what we call master content, which is just one version of the content that's on the brand side. Once that's approved, we take that and then every single affiliate, those a thousand that we talked about are getting a personalized version that sounds like them, where Matt's getting a blog post that sounds just like Matt. Justin's getting one that sounds just like Justin. Cindy, who has a you know health and wellness podcast, is getting one uh, that sounds just like her. So uh, that's kind of the idea. A um, lot of traction in the e-com space. Um, like I said, a lot of like health and wellness brands, beauty brands, things like that. Um, and then as you know, with all your experience building software products, you know, basically every SaaS company has like an affiliate program. So uh, a lot of like blog style content there. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about affiliate programs in general for a minute, because, you know, so from the, from my old days of Venn Solutions, which was like 2003 to 2011, you know, we had one of the top CRM systems on our motive and people came to us all the time and wanted us to sell their thing, whatever their thing was. Right. And it was a struggle, honestly, because why would I have my salespeople spending time selling somebody else's product when they could spend time selling my product? Right. So, you know, affiliate relationships are tough from that perspective. And I feel like the only time they work is when it's a, a win-win, you know, so at, at Venn Solutions, you know, we might sell Kelly Blue Book, 
you know, everybody knows what Kelly Blue Book is, which was like an integration we had because it helped our software. It made our software better by being integrated. And, you know, different kinds of industries and services, the affiliate relationships are totally different, right? And so that's just one example where it was, it felt like it was tough for us. But at the same time, at Venn Solutions, we could turn it around and there might be people that did, um, training and consulting for for car dealerships that could refer our software right to their customers and so the affiliate relationship actually worked better the opposite way around but um you know at full scale one of our customers is a, a company called testery and i was on the call with him today and i'm like you know what we should be affiliates of each other you know our customers could use testery and your customers at testery could use full scale you know, and so my point is, I think it, it this varies wildly from the type of customer or the type of industry and all these different things that you're in. Affiliate market looks totally different and either it makes sense or doesn't make sense or there's like different versions of it. And I'm curious what what kind of different versions have you seen of this? Yeah, totally. And I th like one thing that's a great point that you brought out. Um, what the th one thing with affiliate marketing is a lot of the purchasing power is kind of consolidated at the top. So you see publications like TechCrunch or Healthline, these big publications that are, you know, a huge piece of their revenue comes from affiliate marketing. They're not our ideal demographic. Um, we're working with like solo content creators, small shops um, that are really kind of like this faceless influencer where they might own a recipe yeah. site or a, you know, beauty review site or a niche software review site for you know, podcasters or something like that. Um, and I think you made a really good point. The affiliate marketing industry is huge. It's a $17 billion a year industry. And there's so many different fragments of that. There's the publishers, there's the agencies, there's uh, the brands doing it in-house and everyone goes about it a different way. Uh, like, you know, we don't do anything today with video. There's a huge chunk of the affiliate marketing world that is YouTube videos and it's like a drop a link in my bio and go use a CRM because I use it and I'm a, you know, Shopify guru or whatever, right? Doing a YouTube tutorial. And so we focus on a lot of products that require search intent. Um, so really focusing on like blog and a lot of newsletter content, not needing like the, the personal brand that an influencer brings. Uh, and we use the scalability to, you know, get all of these niche sites just posting more content on behalf of the brands they partner with. Yeah. And it, I mean, it sounds similar where if I was partnering with Testery and he would, you know, send me updates like every month, right. And say, Hey, you know, write a blog, you know, if you want you, you know, in your next blog post, you know, you can include this mention of Testery and what's new and all that kind of stuff. Right. So what, what, what are those kind of con content updates that people are trying to push out? And, and I feel like even like take us for full scale an example. It's like we're always trying to come up with like what's new, what's exciting, what do we, what can we make noise about, like what what can we tell people about, right? Like, tell tell me more about that part of it. Yeah, totally. And just a quick thing on uh, your partnership with that other company, it would be really easy for them to do what that one to one relationship that you're talking about with a hundred other mats. You know, let's say they want to partner with a hundred podcasts. Yeah. And so to one by one say this is what we want you to write about or you know even go a step further and manually write this is what we want you to write we just deliver all of those affiliate partnerships the the completed version of it uh to and that makes total sense yeah, yeah. it makes total sense so, 
Um, but in regards to like what type of things we see, so in e-commerce, it's very different because there's a, most companies have a zillion different products that they can promote. So they can say, oh, this week it's a face cream, then it's a supplement, then it's a, a skin mask. Um, but software, we find it's a lot different. It's, you know, new features, but oftentimes, you know, seasonal discounts uh, is, is like a big one. That's where affiliates make a lot of money. Uh, new product updates. Uh, that's those are really the core ones. Um, if there's a big piece of news, but the thing with like news with affiliate is like, it doesn't really drive sales. If people are in a part of a, like subscribing to a content creator that does affiliate marketing, they're probably going to have seen your product before um, or at least be somewhat familiar with it because the, the, the person that you're listening to is a creator for them. And so it has to be something new. So for software, it's a little more challenging. It's usually like offers for software. So it's, you know, we're doing a, you know, kick off the summer 30% discount. Uh, you know, we just launched, we just shipped this new feature where first hundred users get it for free, whatever it might be. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, you know, for, you, you see, e-commerce is, is definitely totally different where sometimes you're trying to just get people to uh, emotionally make the decision to buy something or, you know, um, where B2B is is a lot different and, and B2B and a lot of other types of things in life, like maybe only 5% of people are actually buyers at any given moment, right? And the other 95%, they're not going to buy. It doesn't matter what you do or say, they, they're not in the mode of buying whatever it is that you have. And one of the advantages of, of affiliate relationships is being able to get in front of more and more people, create the awareness, nurture them, all that kind of stuff, right? And where you're slowly have like those sort of drip campaigns where you, know, you get some brand recognition, name recognition. And then it might be, to your point, that random time, they're like, oh, by the way, now we're running this special offer. And they're like, oh, now is the time to buy. And that's great that they're doing this offer. Now I'm finally going to pull the trigger. Like I wasn't ready six months ago, but now I'm ready to do this thing. Totally. And the other thing that, you know, there's those periodic types of content that make a lot of sense, but a lot of affiliate is a lot of like evergreen content. Like for example, top 10, uh, you know, dev shops based in the Philippines, which might be a search term that you guys, well, you're not based in the Philippines, yeah. but, you know I mean. um, but things like that, where these rank posts or comparison posts or, you know, the top X, the best Y, those are the types of posts that it doesn't really matter what time of year you, you post those at, you know, you might want to use true letter, right. one of those out to your affiliate network once a quarter. Um, and the more people having you in their top 10, the better, right? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So what, what other kinds of, um, lessons can you, can you teach us about affiliate marketing today? Yeah. I mean, uh, the big, the big thing is it's, definitely going away from a lot of written content. So we have, this is kind of level one of TrueLighter and we're building a lot of features that are going to cater more towards the short form video world um, and those types of things that uh, aren't just, you know, a, a blog post that I'm researching because nowadays people don't really do that. They go into Google, you know, what should I do to solve this problem? It spits out an answer. In the world of like ChatGPT, that's only going to get worse where there aren't a lot of these types of content that is making a big difference. So, um, I mean, authenticity is like the biggest thing for sure. Having a relationship, not just with the, with the audience that the affiliate has, not just being able to rank for certain search terms. So, 
I mean, big trends coming up are, you know, AI content where, you know, affiliates can manage dozens or hundreds of niche pages, whether it's blogs or uh, Instagram reels or TikTok pages. Uh, The scalability is like a really big thing, which in my opinion is going to really add a lot of emphasis onto the authenticity. The the personal brands that can maintain that are the ones that are going to be able to win and negotiate big brand deals and, and be a really hot item for companies. So I, I know some people are listening right now and they're like, man, this takes this makes total sense. I could send this to my affiliates. They would know what to promote. They'd know what my special offers are. But you know what they're also thinking? I don't have any affiliates. Or how do I find affiliates? What what are what are your thoughts there on on how you know how a small company, a startup, tech company, whoever finds affiliates? How do they how do they actually execute on creating an affiliate program? Yeah. So we're the niche that we picked is like there are a few big players in the space which are like Awinch, Share a Sale, Impact Radius, Tap Affiliate. A lot of those affiliate managers that are in the business of creating links and managing affiliate programs, they have tools set up for exactly that where you can put out offers, um, promote your program there. And I would just say to those people, start small and focus on quality over quantity. Even if you get 10 people that you're able to get consistently posting, maybe they only have a few hundred or a few thousand readers to their newsletter or listeners on their podcast. Start out with people who really care about your business and are going to move the needle and and have that relationship with you. Like you said, you only like doing affiliate partnerships with products that you actually use or actually help move the needle. Right. There are so many affiliates out there that just chase the next highest commission, um, which many times those aren't the affiliates that you want in your program anyways. If you can find somebody, if you're a software, if you can find somebody who's doing, you know, blog tutorials or YouTube tutorials on how to really effectively use your product, those are the types of people that are actually going to drive sales for your platform. Um, So I would say, you know, there are tools out there. We'll eventually get into that space later on the line, but, you know, Impact is a great affiliate manager. Awin is a great affiliate manager. I would start there and and just, you know, start putting out some offers and see if people come to your program. Um, and the momentum will pick up from there. Once people hear about your offer, you can get picked up on blogs and things like that and, and it will snowball. Well, you got me you got me really thinking about this. And you know, at at full scale, I think we need to to have an affiliate program in 2024 and you know, I would love to work with other tech bloggers and stuff like that to uh, refer more customers to us. You know, we, you know, we build software for other people. We, you know, it doesn't matter front end work, back end work, you know, Angular and React and different programming languages, all this stuff for different people. You can check us out at, at fullscale.io. But um, yeah, this could be a great, you know, source of lead generation for us. So I, I think I'm probably going to need True Letter to help with this though. And I I imagine True Letter becomes really important once you have a certain number of affiliates. You know, is is there like, hey, once you have you know ten, a hundred, like a thousand, like how many affiliates do you really start to see the pain and and your solution really becomes a the, the solution they need? Yeah, totally. So I would say like over fifty. A couple of our like you know our ICPs companies like mid size companies with two hundred to. 5,000 affiliates where managing the content creation and like keeping people on top of their game is like a big problem and is usually 
at least one or two full-time people within the company. Um, but there are plenty of e-com stores where it's just like a sole e-com owner and they're doing whatever, you know, $10,000 a month in revenue. And they have this 30 person affiliate team that only five of them are posting consistently where that's a great use case on like a smaller, more limited plan uh, that TrueLetter can help. Um, but like, like you said, uh, and I just want to skip back to, to you guys, Matt, because where affiliate makes a big difference in today's world of advertising is that like trust factor um, where, you know, you want somebody who's a trusted source to be talking about you because people are so yeah. numbed out by like ads and ad scrolling. And um, when you search on Google, the, people don't even click on sponsored posts very often anymore because it's just like, oh, I know somebody's paying for me to look at this. Having a newsletter and, and hearing, especially for a high ticket service, like, you know, development services or, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, real estate or, or things like that. We, people want information from people they trust. They don't want to buy from the computer. They want to buy from people. No, you're hundred percent right. That's our entire business of full scale trust. Like, you know, every software development manager in the world, uh, gets multiple emails a day, spam to them from, you know, basically full scales competitors, you know, that, that do what we do. Um, but they don't know who any of them are, right? So they just mark them all as spam or delete all of them, right? It, it's all about trust. It's 100% about trust. So tell me, let's, I'd love to hear more about how you're building the, this technology. You know, you said you're a non-technical founder and that's always one of the hardest things is, you know, how do you go about building this software? And I'm curious in the very beginning, how, how did you think you were going to build this software? Like you have the idea, how did you start out thinking like, okay, I'm going to build this thing. How am I going to do this? Yeah. So back to the beginning, we actually have done a, a pivot halfway through. We've been working on TrueLetter for, you know, seven or eight months now. Uh, and we initially shipped the, pro the platform as a B2C platform for affiliates to automate their workflow, where an affiliate would sign up, add the affiliate links of all their brands that they work with it, that they get paid commission on and pick their publishing frequency and then let it run. TrueLetter would automatically write, schedule and publish organic search rank content uh, to their WordPress site on autopilot. And so that version, how we started early on was we went the low code route, which I know is really hot today. Um, and we used bubble to, to build okay. that. Um, and then we, we did another pivot. The bubble wasn't really doing it for us. So uh, moved to a different team of uh, just like a contractor, like friend of mine really, uh, and built it on Flutterflow. That product was okay. killer. That got signups. Uh, a lot of affiliates were using it, but it was kind of like a, a market mismatch where affiliates weren't willing to pay for it. They loved the free version, but we couldn't get them off the off the free version. Uh, okay. And so that's when we started talking to brands and started thinking about this as you know a, a, a B two B more enterprise play, where things need to be built with a little bit more complexity than some of the the no code tools can can offer today. And so found um, a dev, actually, I spent a lot of time uh, on the Y Combinator co-founder matching app, trying to find a technical co-founder to take over, um, eventually just turned over to LinkedIn and filtered LinkedIn uh, software engineers by previously worked at some of my competitors, found okay. just a rock star, you know, guy that had been in a full stack dev for 10 years, had worked in affiliate, had worked in AI, um, and, he, and he got us to, to beta with the V2 B2B version. That's awesome. And he's still working with you today? 
Yeah. And so now we have two guys. Um, one's kind of like more engineer, traditional engineer type, and one's more of like kind of a, uh, you know, visionary builder, you know, build quick. It's okay if things break, like we're early. We just want to like ship as quick as possible. Um, somebody who can really see the product from the the user's point of view and work uh, kind of off scope, if you if you want to say that way. Okay. Well, so tell me a little more about your experience with Bubble. So Bubble is a very popular no-code, low-code type of solution. I'm curious, tell me a little more about your experience with that. Yeah, I think it's come a long way. This was, you know, months and months ago. Uh, we just weren't, and maybe it was a team that I was working with, but we just weren't able to get the the UI to a place where I felt comfortable launching it to the public. Um, and so just kind of like serendipity, I had run into one of the lead product guys at Flutterflow, showed him this, and we, you know, we became friends through this, through this partnership. Um, and he was like, give me a couple of days. I can do this in Flutterflow so easily given this is probably like one of the top no code developers in the country. Uh, he was like, give okay. me a couple of days and I'll make it look beautiful. And so I was actually a lot more impressed with Flutterflow's capabilities than Bubble. Um, okay. but that's just a personal preference. But so were you doing that yourself? Like with bubble, were you the one trying to make it work or? No, no, no. I was, I was working with the team more as like, like as a design partner kind of, and then somebody else was doing the X's and O's another contract. It's like you're still, so what's, what's kind of ironic about that is like, you're still almost basically paying for a software developer you know, or, or somebody who can build it, but instead of them building the, the program for you, they're spending all their time customizing the no code solution, right? So either way, it's like you're still paying for it. But then the question is, do you end up paying a lot less or a lot more for, you know, the, the different options there? Yeah. And that was, you know, we started the podcast talking about mistakes we've made. I probably wouldn't, knowing what we know now, I probably wouldn't have gone no code to start, you know, burned a decent amount of capital, but I'm actually kind of curious, like what your thoughts are on this whole new no code, low code trend. I mean, it works for like certain sole proprietor type businesses. Um, but like, I find, you know, you kind of end up having to scrap a lot of it if you get any sort of traction. Yeah, I think like everything, there are good use cases for, for things like that. It's like a fantastic use case, right? So for maybe a lot of internal apps, like say you work into a big company and for example, they're like, oh, we just need a little database to keep track of all of our vendor contracts. Like when are all of our vendor contracts going to auto renew every year? Uh, who asked to authorize them? Stuff like that or something. Um, might be, Bubble might be the perfect solution to just build some little database of that, which is sort of just like marginally better than Excel at that point, right? Like they could have also done it in Excel, right? So, you know, there, there are so many use cases for software development that can be as simple as that. It's like a little internal database that you don't really care exactly how it looks. It doesn't have to look like super well polished and all this kind of stuff is, is totally different. It's all over the board. And there are certain use cases like, you know, where it's a great, it's a great option. It's also great for prototyping, right? Like you, you know, potentially that's why I asked if you were doing bubble yourself, because potentially you could have done bubble yourself. You're like, screw it. I'm going to lock myself in my bedroom or my office or whatever all weekend. And I'm going to figure out how to use bubble and I'm going to build a prototype of this thing this weekend. And there are people that do that. And that prototype might be all, you know, what they needed to 
think through and flush out the idea or then meet the next week with a potential customer and show them the prototype, even though it's not perfect. But, you know, you know, these tools can be used for a lot of a lot of different reasons. And sometimes it's prototyping, sometimes it's weird internal stuff. But then I hear stories of people that built like a full blown app on bubble and it works for them. So I, I think it's just all over the board. Yeah. And I, I think the the scalability thing, and you're so right on that with the the Excel analogy. And it's just like, it, it works really yeah. well for things internally. And it's like, yeah, sure. Have somebody in marketing or engineering, it might take them, you know, a couple hours to get something that works put together. Um, and so that's, I mean, it works fine. The, the, the B2C version that I mentioned earlier that we initially launched with that went to market on no code and like, we didn't have any uh, like usage issues or anything like that, but with, we, built everything from the ground up with this new V2. So I wouldn't say like no code is a bad thing. I think it really depends on, like you said, the use case. Okay. So what what were some of the other uh, lessons along the way here um, of, of being a non-technical founder? Yeah, I think the first one is like, and you probably hear this from everybody, just iterating quickly and cheaply. Um, you know, like I said, we have a pivot, we had a pivot We've done a few small angel checks, but in our world, it's really like you don't want to go spend, you know, 30 to 50K on like a prototype if you can avoid it. You know, validating ideas, validating features and building something that is really great for customers is the most important thing. Um, lesson number two, like hands down, the best thing that I've had is staying close with your customers. So we... the V1, we kind of just shipped and it was like, we'll talk to customers when it's done. We went the complete opposite way with, with V2, which was we got all these LOIs and the LOIs that we got became basically part of the business. Like we almost, we, we call them like part of like the founders club where whether it's a new wireframe or if it's a new feature or anything along the way, we have regular calls with them and make sure, hey, this is what we built. You know, do you have a, a use for this before we spend more time like refining it? Yeah. Um, that was that was definitely a huge thing, um, and I think like a lot of founders are starting to get savvy to that. Like that's becoming very mainstream advice, and you've probably had people say that on the podcast before. Um, and then aside from that, is just doing things. This is like a piece of uh, advice from Y Combinator, but early on, doing things that don't scale is really valuable. Um, you know, especially with customer acquisition. I think the worst thing for an early founder to do is, you know, go run Facebook ads or, or, you know, any sort of mass marketing, every single, you know, onboarded, you know, beta customer you've gotten has been from networking, personal connections, private Slack groups and, and Facebook groups, doing things that are really like me engaging with the person to make sure it's a good fit. Um, there is obviously a time to scale, but I would just say like early on being really hands-on with your customer and, and doing things where you see all those pain points that you wouldn't see otherwise. I mean, we still do that at full scale today and we have 300 employees, right? It's still hands-on doing the, the fundamental grunt work. You know, it's, there's no magic button. You know, I think that's the problem for a lot of entrepreneurs is they're looking for this magic button where like money just prints and falls from the sky. But a lot of times it's just being really good at the fundamentals and then eventually being able to scale those fundamentals, right? Um, we're, you know, every day at full scale, we're still working on some of those fundamentals. How do we get better at all these little things? But there's no magic button. There's still no magic button, you know, for us almost six years later. Totally. And something that you guys do really well is like you're very active 
in your communication. You know, I'm not getting a, you know, message from a salesperson or something like this. Like you and I had a real conversation and I can tell like how hands-on and how much you care about your clients and your customers and, and you're just in your outbound strategy. Like it's very clear that the founder cares about solving problems and that comes across to, to people like me who would want to work with you guys. I appreciate that. You know, I, I do post on LinkedIn every day. Those of you who are listening that don't follow me on LinkedIn, you should track me down, Matt Watson. I have some, some crazy Great. thing every day. So, um, well, what else can we learn from you today? What, what other mistakes can we learn from that we, we, we won't laugh about them? We, won't, we may not, hopefully we don't cry about them. What, what else can we learn from you today? Okay, I, I have a good one. Um, for people like uh, early founders, and when it comes to VCs, you know, I've talked to dozens of VCs about True Letter. Um, if you can, don't waste your time early on with VCs with liquidation preferences and preferred stock and common stock and all these sorts of things. That's important and that will come. But when you're just like pre product market fit, um, really just trying to get the ball rolling, your time is way better spent talking to customers and like building things quickly that work. Um, I wasted a lot of time early on thinking we needed to go raise like a million dollar round to build this product and have enough runway uh, and wasted like months just banging my head against the wall on like the fundraising trail when the real progress came from finding a few angels in my network through like the, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. There's like a great founder community, just talking to people, getting a few checks to get something done and in front of customers uh, makes a huge difference. And then makes it a lot easier to then go to those VCs with traction and be like, now write me a check. Um, I think, you know, in this is, that's becoming less common, but you know, towards the end of 2021, when there's just, you know, just if you had a, dot AI URL, you could go raise a million or two bucks. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, we kind of came, came into the, into the world, right. When that, that trend had ended. And I feel like I wasted a lot of time, um, thinking that was the solution was raising more money, but money really money gets you to the starting line. A lot of people look at, you know, see somebody announce their new funding round on, on LinkedIn and they're like, Oh, that's awesome. You know, they made it, they raised $3 million. Is the start of the work, That's, you know? Now the work begins. Yeah. 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 So like, it's, it's like with full scale, I, I bought out my business partner a few weeks ago and, and that was what I told people. They're like, congratulations or whatever. I'm like, no, now the work really begins. Like, n like, yeah, that was great. But now the real work begins, you know, it's like, it, it's never easy, man. And yeah, just because you've raised millions of dollars does not guarantee any level of success either. No. And I think you see a lot of people over raising today that yeah. will leave problems later on. Like if you don't need $5 million, you only need 750, 750K, you might be better off just raising the 750K and getting to profitability and, and going that route. I have a friend in Kansas City here that got burned by that. And I would say, you know, when things are going well and you're raising at these crazy valuations, it all sounds great. But potentially it could be one bad quarter that wipes you out. And what I mean by that is like, say you raise $5 million at a $20 million valuation or $25 million valuation or whatever. But if you give them like a, 
one, two, or sometimes crazy, like three times liquidation preference. Like they're guaranteed, like they invested five, but they're guaranteed to get back like 10 or 15 million. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you have a, bad, a couple couple bad quarters or something. Now the company's not worth 25 million anymore. Maybe it's worth 15. Well, the investor is going to get all the money back. They're going to get paid first. And that happened to a friend of mine. He, after years of working on this company, had, you know, struggled in 2023 and ended up selling and got nothing. And that's exactly what happened to him. He got he got slaughtered by the liquidation preference of the the VC that invested. So, you know, sometimes you want the big valuations and you want to raise all the money and all that stuff. But if anything goes south, like the investor is going to get their money back first, and you're really out. So it's 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 a dangerous dangerous fight, you know, thing that we do here. <laughs> totally. And if anyone, I just read a really good book that was recommended to me from uh, a VC who also does angel investing on the side, but this book called Early Exits, and it talks about uh, exits of companies between like 15 and $30 million that do it in a really lean way, solve real problem, only raise like angel and like friends and family money, get to a couple million in ARR and then sell before, you know, you get through all the chaos of BC. Um, So any early founders out there that think they need VC money to, to make it maybe give early exits a read. Yeah. And there's, there's certain entrepreneurs are great at building things from scratch or like getting to that 1 million in revenue, 2 million in revenue. It takes a different skill set to scale it from 2 million to 5 million to 10 million to hundred million, right? It takes different skill sets. And some of us don't want to do that. Like it's not the kind of work that we want to do. Um, I have a friend that's an entrepreneur that her company does, you know, 10 million a year in revenue. She hates it, hates every minute of it. Cause like it feels like real work and a corporate job at this point. And, you know, or, you know, employees drive her crazy and dumb problems with the employees and people in process. Like she doesn't enjoy any of that. She doesn't enjoy any of it, but yet she doesn't hire people and trust them to go do it either. Mm. And so the, you know, some of us point is some of us don't scale. Some entrepreneurs just don't scale you know, we're better off at different, different pieces of this. And it takes all of us, it takes all of us to do these different jobs. So. Totally. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, being really realistic about that with yourself is really helpful as a founder. I don't know if you, you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, but a lot of, I think founders are focused on like solving a problem, but from, you know, again, advice from VCs is really smart to go into a business with some sort of idea of what your exit strategy is going to be. What are your expectations? Are you trying to build this into a $10 million business or a $500 million business? Because there's very different activities for both of those different types of uh, exits. Um, And if you don't have those conversations with yourself early on, I feel like you can kind of get lost in your decision making. Um, And I know you've had a couple of exits. How do you kind of think about that before you start a new venture? Well, I think some of it is, it's risk, right? It's, it's timing and risk, you know, potentially like a business like yours, you'd be like, you know what, I'm going to build this. You know, if we get up to a million, two million, five million year in revenue, I'm going to be super happy. And I'm just going to run this thing forever. And I don't really care. Like, this is my great little business that I have here. Versus if you're like, no, we've got to get to 10, 50, a hundred million in revenue as fast as possible. Like that's just a whole different kind of business. But that's super rare. Like the amount of businesses that can grow and scale to like tens of millions a year in revenue very fast is like 1% or something. It's, it's, it is the unicorns. 
And even my first startup, we grew to $30 million, $30 million a year in revenue and never raised any money at all. I mean, it was still slow and steady growth, what felt like slow and steady growth over a lot of years of time, right? It wasn't like Instagram or TikTok sort of growth, like, you know, that happens over a short period of months or a couple of years. Like those are such rare unicorn stories, you know, most companies, um, you know, grow 40, 50, 60% a year, year over year. And that doesn't sound very exciting or sexy, but that's normal. That's just normal growth, right? And most people should be super excited about that. Um, you know, at full scale, if we grew 40% this year, I'd be ecstatic. Like that would be like a record, a record year. But when you read TechCrunch, you see like the craziness of they, you know, grew a bajillion percent, but that's just not reality either. Right. No, and I think, you know, especially after the um, the most recent like AI boom, I think there's a lot of more returning to like traditional wisdom of expectations and things like that. And like, you know, I don't know if you listen to like the all in podcast or anything like that, but they, they talk about all the time, like companies, it, it, you can't raise on these crazy valuations anymore. You have to have real growth. You have to have real expectations and like, we're not in the days of, you know, raise $2 million on a URL anymore. So I think there's a yeah. lot of that coming back to earth in, in the startup world. And to some degree, that's good and it's healthy. Yeah. No, I think, I, I think we were doing a little bit of a reset. Absolutely. Um, and we'll see where it goes from here. I think there's a lot of macro things that uh, could affect things. And then, um, you know, if B2B software seems like it was at kind of at the end of its downturn but uh yeah i'm excited for for what the future has well i really appreciate having you on the show today and it was a great conversation about affiliates i think uh there's a great book called traction and i always forget who who wrote the book i have it sitting here on my shelf um about like 20 different traction channels um for a company and so it can be things like affiliate marketing or you know seo content marketing going to trade shows, being an author, like blogging, like all these different things. And affiliates is one of them. And for certain people, affiliates is a super powerful way to grow. I had the uh, founder of Pictory on here um, who has like some online uh, video and, and photo editing and, and stuff tool. And he would tell you like most of their business came from affiliate. Affiliate was like the biggest driver of their business. And there are some companies where affiliate is huge and there are definitely customers out there that really need uh, what you do, Justin. So people are listening. Again, this was Justin Garrett. Uh, check him out at trueletter.ai and uh, really appreciated having you on the, on the show today. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. This has been great. And yeah, if anyone wants to sign up for the beta, um, come check out Trueletter. Uh, it's trueletter.ai. And then you can check me out on LinkedIn, Justin Garrett. Um, and yeah, Matt, really appreciate it. This has been great today. So thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thank you so much for being there today. Thanks. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.
the world.